Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Intention Matters, the podcast. Thanks very much for joining us again on this one. Today I have Dan Carnavale. He is country manager, manager I should say, in the great country of Canada at Wolters Kluwer. Dan, welcome. Well, thanks very much, Paul. Appreciate it. I can't, to be here. I can't believe I just messed up Canada, given that I'm a proud Canadian. Of all the words that I'm going to screw up on this podcast, I can't believe that was the one. <laughs> Well, it's usually my last name, so you're doing you're ahead of the game already. Well, listen, that. thanks so much for being here. Say hi to everybody and provide a quick intro, and we'll get into it. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, hello, everybody out there. As Paul mentioned, uh, my name's Dan Carnavalli, and I, I lead the business here for Walters Kluwer Canada. Uh, really, my background is a uh, lifelong banker turned uh, turned on the vendor side. Uh, before that, I was a broken ex-athlete, like probably most of the folks listening to this and uh, ended up in a sales role in sales management and uh, having a lot of fun doing it. So I'm happy to be here. All right. So let's get into it then. So uh, we'll go back, call it maybe 20 years. Acadia University, um, football was a big part of your your time there. Um, Quarterback at Axman for the varsity team. Talk to me about what that was like. What did you do? Uh, How was that a big part of your life? And what did you think you'd be doing once you finished uh, your university years? Okay. Good question. So how I really like to sum up my university experience is I'm definitely proud to say that I left university a completely different person than I entered university. So what I mean by that is when I was going from high school to university, you know, highly recruited quarterback, you know, uh, looked at a couple of different schools, even down in the U.S., ended up at Acadia to a family connection and just ranted and raved about how wonderful the place was. And it really is. Uh, you know, you go to a university far away from home for the first time and you arrive, uh, you know, coming from a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a big pond, you learn right away that there are, you know, there's some challenges. And what I mean by that is when you join the team as uh, a rookie, so to speak, you know, you're not going to be starting, you're, you're not going to be contributing on the field. You have to find ways to contribute to the team. So how I chose to do that was what can I do to help the team? So I would do everything to help the starting quarterbacks, you know, get them coffee before the games, get them tape, get them parts for the uniform, whatever it was. The the part that was important to me is that how can I best help this team win? And I'm not going to be on the field anytime soon. So what can I do? So through that experience, um, the first couple of years, I was exposed to a lot of great leaders on the team. Coach was a great leader. And you start to learn how to best position yourself to help the team. Uh, going into my third year, um, suffered a pretty bad injury. I just got on the cusp of starting. I had a great training camp, and I had a really bad injury, and I ended up in, in the hospital. And so didn't know if I was ever going to play again. Didn't know where my, quite frankly, didn't know where my life was going at this point because all in all, I really wanted to be a football player. But uh, so I took the rest of the year off, came back to Ontario, really started to figure out, and I kind of had that paradigm shift slash aha moment, which is, you know, I better get my studies together because uh, football is not going to be a major part of my future. So had that paradigm shift, went back to school, still part of the team, but uh, very much trying as best I could, contributing as best I could. I got a chance to start uh, a couple of games in my fourth and fifth year. But what was really important for me is where I got my first real lesson in academics as it relates to being, you know, as it relates to learning. 
So I met a professor in my third year. His name was uh, Dr. Ernie Bust, who was my finance professor. And the quick story I'll tell is, you know, we were all sitting there first week. We had just finished our first assignment. And he came to the front room, big, gregarious, big, imposing man, six foot three, six foot four, great big man, lightning smart. He just asked a question to the group. He said, you know, okay, who did the assignment? And nobody spoke up. And so he started to go into the assignment and he goes, okay, what does this formula mean? And so people would speak up and say, well, you know, this represents the future value of money, so on and so forth. And he goes, no, 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 no. What does it mean? And so no one answered. So he fired a question directly at me because he knew who I was from the football team. He said, Dan, what does this mean? I said, well, you know, when interest rates do this, I mean, I guess you have to look at it in this certain way. And he said, brilliant. And he goes, thank you for explaining that. And so right away it clicked with me is that, you know, it's much easier to understand the why, why a formula and what it represents as opposed to just learning the variables. So I have taken that away from university into all my courses. And that's where it really turned for me. When I started to understand, he would, he would drill into my head, don't just understand the formula. Don't just understand what the problem is, what the project is, understand why it was created and what it does. And for me, that was the big change. And if you look at my transcript, uh, embarrassingly enough, my first two years were not good. My uh, third, fourth, and fifth year after I took time off was very proud and very, very proud of those grades. So for me, that was when the first real aha moment happened. So Dan, once you went through this, which I imagine at the time, uh, maybe even even to this day, would have been a really difficult hurdle to overcome because you're going down one path. You have aspirations of of being a pro athlete, a football player, and then that is taken away from you. And all of a sudden you realize, okay, I have to do something else with my life here because that's not going to happen. Um, what did you end up doing once you graduated? What was your first real um, job? Okay, so after uh, after graduation, and I'll start with, go back for a bit, we were finalizing our final business case for our last year. Myself, uh, a, a couple of fellow members of the team were participating in a real-time case study and one of the guys who is now actually a member of parliament a wonderful guy matt green great guy said to me he goes you ever thought about playing football in europe i'm like no not really he goes why don't we go to europe for a year and play some football and you know you know that gap year between university and, and kind of getting getting on to your, yeah. to your role he goes let's go to europe so we went and lived in germany for a year we were roommates in germany and uh what a fantastic experience and learned so much about not only the people has got to travel around Europe, got paid to play football, American football, as they call it. And so my first job when I got back from that is bouncing or doorman in a bar. <laughs> so that in itself, while most people, you know, the stereotypes exist and we can't really change those. But if you want to crash course in crisis management or how to deal with an unruly client, that is a great crash course in doing that. So I did that for two years uh, while I was searching for my first job. And then uh, CIBC Mellon came calling. And uh, my first role was as a client and advisor specialist at CIBC Mellon Global Security Services. Basically, uh, it was an account management position. I had a book of business. Uh, we would execute uh, move trades on behalf of advisors and deal with uh, other banks, other custody arms. So that was my first role. You know, I, I want to chat with you about your your time at CIBC Mellon because I know I know that it was you know six seven years that you were there. But I'm uh, I'd love to to touch on your time in Europe playing football. That must have been just a, a ridiculously cool experience for you. 
Yeah, I, I simply don't have the vocabulary to properly do it justice, but it was, it, it was absolutely fantastic. And so where in Germany were you? Uh, 25 miles due south of Munich, Germany, in a town called uh, Starnberg, which is on a huge fresh uh, water body water called Starnberger Sea. We lived right on the water. Uh, the team that we played for provided us with accommodations, provided us with a car, three meals a day. Um, yeah, so it was it was fantastic. We got to, and because of the magic of Facebook and LinkedIn, I still talk to some of those people I met. And it was, uh, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Well, that's a pretty cool experience. So then you come back to Canada. Yep. And so I like your term of you are a doorman, uh, for the politically correct term versus bouncer. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. so you're a doorman bouncing for a couple of years. Yep. And, and I'm sure you ran into all kinds in that time, as you just touched yep. on. So then, of course, so now all of a sudden you got to go, okay, now, now I've got to find my vocation. I've got to find my career yep. here. And so you, you end up with a pretty good stretch at CIBC Mellon. Yep. Uh, did they find you? Actually, I applied on workopolis.com. And for those of you who don't know Workopolis, it's, uh, I don't even know if they're still around. It might I be. Tell you. It's, it's, it's like an indeed, but, uh, yeah, but, but back 20 years ago, almost, yeah, yep. 15 years ago. So, okay, so you apply online, uh, you then accept the job, you go down this path. And so talk to me about your, your time there and what it was like to, to move on, because seven years, six, seven years, it's not a, it's not a massive amount of time, but it's also not insignificant either. For, for and CIBC being a massive giant, there must have been lots of different branches you could have gone down the path of for your career. And so, uh, what was it like there, and why did you ultimately choose to move on? Okay, so for the first, uh, I would say, eighteen months, I was in my role as a client advisor specialist, uh, kind of a springboard to other areas in, in the company. I had a lot of good uh, uh, leaders at the time. There were one particular boss of mine. Uh, paid me a wonderful compliment. Her name is uh, Danielle Doan. She paid me a wonderful compliment. And it really helps, you know, when you're starting off in a new company, you're young. She paid me a wonderful compliment. And she used to say that uh, out of all the people she's had, she really enjoyed my, what she called emotional intelligence. And so when to push, when not to push, when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, how to, how to connect with everybody, whether mm. it doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their education. And so I got to thinking, I'm like, well, that's probably because of everything I've done working as a doorman, living in Germany. It's, you know, you really learn these different experiences about how to deal with people that may not speak your language and how to deal with people that may not understand what you're trying to teach them. So that was a, that was a wonderful compliment. So I, I've always appreciated that to this day. And um, what happened there was I had met some uh, some folks that worked up in capital markets. And uh, what I had done is I had chosen to do a presentation for all of my first and second year client advisor specialists on our main capital markets uh, proposition. So I just did some reading. I put it all together and I reached out to somebody in capital markets, uh, the director of business development at the time. And I said, you know, could I get a minute of your time just to review this quick presentation? I want to make sure I'm properly representing your job and what capital markets does. And so he looked at it and he goes, you know, who, who, um, who helped you with this? I said, nobody. I just read the book and I, you know, and was super impressed. So when a role came up, he reached out to me and said, you should apply for this role. So I applied for it, got up to capital markets. And, uh, that, that was really my first kind of move into a real exciting trading floor, mm. high flying, you know, prime brokerage, all that fun stuff. And I really enjoyed that environment. So at that time, 
uh, my mindset had kind of shifted and said, okay, well, maybe I want to be a trader. Maybe I want to get on a trading desk somewhere. So for the for the, the remainder of my time at Mellon, that is what I did. And if, if I can go back to my opening story, I, when you get up there as uh, in capital markets as a quote unquote, a new hire or rookie, the first thing I thought it was, okay, well, how do I contribute? How do I help? How can I make my way? And how can I, you know, carve a path for myself? So what I did was they started to allow me to participate in client meetings. So we would go to the various clients and say, okay, well, last quarter, we, you made this much money. Uh, that was this much more than the quarter before. And so I started to think, I said, well, wait a minute. Um, wouldn't it be cool if I could add some color to those stories? So like, why did we make this much more money? Because you go from a capital markets environment to, you know, the finance of your clients who don't necessarily follow, you know, capital markets in that way is I was in securities lending. And so that sometimes can come off as a complicated, you know, capital markets type structure. So the, the, these people would be asking, well, why did we make that much money? And, you know, they would give them the straight up mm. box answer. Well, because of this. And so I thought, okay, wait a minute, what if I could provide a little bit of color to those stories? So what I did is I walked over to the trading desk and, and I had made acquaintances with a, a lot of the, the traders and I just went around to the different desk and, and I, quite frankly, I begged for their time and said, Hey, you know, can I buy you a drink and just pick your brain? And I just asked one simple question. I go, why do people lend? Like, what is it? What happens? What, tell me, tell me, why do people do it? Why does a big fund or an institution want a security lend? Like what happens? And so the traders, you know, took the time, the fixed income trader, the equity trader, they would walk me through all these different things. And so I started to incorporate that knowledge into how we were, uh, how we were interacting with our clients. So the next meeting, they would say, okay, well, why did we make that money? And I would say, well, you made that money because of a, you know, sorry for the technical jargon, because of an international arbitrage between a French security and a Canadian security, and this is what we did. And they would, they would start to get really engaged and go, well, holy, you know, that is really, that's really interesting. So these meetings started to become a little more, you know, not just talking about numbers for an hour, more conversational, more, you know, telling stories, more me providing background. So that's how I kind of cut my teeth in that business and said, you know, this is really interesting. I still wanted to be a trader at the time, but those jobs don't come up mm. every so often. So towards the end of my time at, uh, at CIBC Mellon, uh, I started to look elsewhere. Um, I ended up going over to Royal Bank in a similar type business, only on much more of a global scale. So CIBC Mellon was focused on Canada and some US business where RBC was more of a global business. So same sort of business, same sort of operation, same sort of, uh, I guess you could say day to day, except it was on much more of a global scale. So that's what kind of drove me to make that first big move. And, and to your point, it was after eight years at CIBC. So that was a big part I mean, essentially for me, that was 24 to 32. Mm. I mean, that is, that is a tremendously important time in a young career, in a career, not a young career. E easy transition for you or was it a struggle? No, it was a relatively smooth transition. Uh, really got along with my boss. I worked for a gentleman, Olivier, and uh, he was based in France. And so we just had good personalities. We meshed well. Uh, I reported to uh, some local uh, individuals who then reported to Olivier. But, you know, through the, through that team, we went through a lot together, uh, building new products, uh, taking over another business and folding it into the Scoots Lending business. It was really, really a good time. I met a lot of great people in a yeah, relatively smooth transition to answer your question. You know, your your time in the, in the 
in the banking side of things was the better part of 10 years, mm -hmm. which is pretty significant. Um, why leave that sector? Because it's, it's a safe play. I mean, CIBC is yep. not going anywhere. RBC is not going anywhere. Yep. Lots of options. I worked at Scotiabank in, a, in another lifetime. I probably could have retired there, mm -hmm. um, you know, with lots of different divisions. And so um, why get out of that, uh, that space? Great question. So uh, the trend I started to notice in the market is because of the global financial crisis in 2008 and the, the wave of regulation that was hitting is that some of these opportunities that were very profitable, and, and by opportunities, I mean some of these trades, some of the arbitrages between jurisdictions, uh, very profitable. That's where companies were really making the bang for the buck in securities lending, um, started to close up. They were starting to uh, change tax codes, starting to really close off those opportunities. So my uh, thesis at the time was, obviously I was not a trader up to that point, but I was, uh, call it, a, you know, a trader in waiting, if you will. And I started to notice that, you know, these opportunities were, were closing, you know, uh, different tax codes were changing, different opportunities mm. were closing. And so I made the decision for my career was, you know, if the banking world, in, at least in the world I was in, was uh, shrinking, why don't I go try my hand on the other side of the business where they're expanding by providing solutions for efficiency to the shrinking banking sector that I was in, right? That was my thesis at the time. So, you know, think about, this is a very poor example, but think about this. I'd rather be the hammer than the nail, right? I'd rather go on the other side and use that banking knowledge, use what I know, what I've learned, and to sell solutions into the bank. Maybe I can provide some value that way. So I made the trip, uh, moved over to a company called Calypso Technology that sold uh, capital markets systems, uh, mostly derivative systems, front office to back office. So the agreement there, and I say agreement with the hiring manager who was the CFO, or excuse me, the CEO at Calypso at the time was, you know, we need somebody in Canada. We've got a pretty good lineup. We want to grow. We'd love to take your banking knowledge and see how we can turn that into, into a proposition. So we did that. Uh, I stayed at Calypso for a couple of years, learned a tremendous amount about the derivative space and capital market space in general. And uh, yeah, so I spent, I think it was about two and a half years at Calypso. And uh, yeah, and that's when I was started to look. And now I decided to make that move because Calypso was getting, uh, Calypso was actually being sold to a private equity firm. And uh, I thought, you know, I know what happens in that scenario. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to be any part of that because uh, through my time in securities lending and through my time in capital markets, you know what goes on in that scenario. And uh, some people might say I jumped too quick, but an opportunity came up that I just couldn't pass. So uh, that's when I decided to leave that. I believe that was 2015-ish. All right. And so uh, did that eventually happen to Calypso? Yep. It did. Yep. They, they were sold to two private equity firms, Bridgepoint and Summit Point, Summit Point Partners. Okay. And where'd you land? I landed at Thomson Reuters in Toronto. All right. And uh, really, really exciting time. They just launched a new product. But uh, where, I, where I could seriously bring value to that operation was I had a long conversation with the hiring manager. And I guess you could say the rut that his team was in was they were working on selling desktop software. Uh, Thompson Reuters had a really good desktop platform, but it was, it was getting along in years. And they had decided to replace it with a new desktop software called Icon. 
And where uh, what I was asked to do there was really, we need to start looking at these deals on a more enterprise level. And what I mean by that is previously, you know, if a bank had 10 Thompson One platforms, let's change that for 10 Icon platforms, get a little increase. And, you know, that it might've been in one particular operation, capital markets, investment banking, equity research. And there we go. And that's how they were progressing. What I wanted to do there was, okay, how do we get higher in the organization mm -hmm. and how do we make it worth their while? Because that little 10 for 10 swap is probably, you know, their costs are going up, their operations are going to increase or are going to be tightened up a bit. They'll save a little bit of, bit of total cost there. But how do we get in front of the CFO and say, okay, well, let's look at your whole operation, not just this little sector. Let's look at your whole operation. You know, the term I used to say to the team was instead of these singles and doubles, how do we hit triples and home runs? So we changed the conversation to be, okay, uh, you know, Mr. and Mrs. CFO, right now you spend X on your technology. What if we had to look around your operations and see if we can do 10 platforms in equity research, 20 platforms in investment banking, 20 platforms in trading, and look at the whole operation. And then from that, you scale up to look at, okay, well, what if we can save you a million dollars a year? You know, Bloomberg's are quite expensive. What if we can save... Uh, save your company and, and, and increase your, mm. you know, increase your operations. And so that was what I did there. And, and, and you know, it was, it went over very well, had a great first year, uh, had a great second year. And then just as my luck would have it, as most people might know, Thompson Reuters was sold to uh, private equity fund. They were sold and since have changed ownership again. To back, to back, back to back for you. Back to back for me. And uh, it's funny because I got a couple of emails from some senior folks at various pension funds that said that exact same thing. They go, "What? What is with you and companies being bought out by private equity?" And you know, selfishly, I always thought that that's a good sign yeah. because we had a couple of great years, and so the private equities were like, "Ooh, let's uh, let's acquire this business because we can make something of it." So that was uh, that was that. That was Thomson Reuters, and some of my closest business friends today and personal friends are from my time there. A lot of great people. It was a great two years. Uh, had excellent leadership there, learned a lot, you know, over your career, you know, you got to take a little bit from this leader, a little bit of this leader, kind of put it into your personal create plan your own. And, yeah. and create your own, but you know, it, it never hurts. So I learned a lot from some people there still keep in touch, but that's when uh, Walters Kluwer came calling. I was headhunted by Walters Kluwer. And funny enough is when I mentioned previously that when the global regulations started to happen in 20 and uh, 2008, all the way to 2010 and Basel and all that fun stuff. Well, that's what I do now. So full circle, now what I sell is regulatory software, risk and regulatory software designed for the very thing that got me to leave banking in the first place. It's, you can make this stuff up. Well, you know, Dan, you've had quite the, uh, quite the ride, a successful mm -hmm. and eclectic career as so many of us in the world of sales have when you're able to mm -hmm. sustain it. Uh, how are you and uh, your family doing right now under COVID other than the quarantine and, you know, working from home? Uh, how have you been handling the last uh, 90 days or so? Well, it's, uh, it's certainly been interesting as it has been for most families, I would imagine. Uh, I can tell you that I believe my, my son and I are failing grade three math, uh, not doing too well. Uh, I don't know when they changed math, but, uh, you know, we're working on it. And, you know, he's he's trying hard and he's doing his best and my wife has, has taking the lion's share of that, which uh, I thank her for tremendously. I can't thank her enough for that. But uh, in typical fashion for our family, we, <laughs> we, we just chose to accept the challenge and go. I mean, we're expecting our second. 
uh, is on the way due in November. Oh, congratulations. Uh, you know, thank you very much. We have uh, multiple pets. So we're all home with, uh, you know, my wife has a wonderful career, a very senior uh, individual, her company, senior brand manager, doing very well. And, um, you know, we have two cats, a dog, uh, a nine-year-old, one on the way, you know, just you go forward, right? You just, you got to do it. So All right. Just keep moving forward. So we're doing, we're making it work. We're, we're finding ways to make it work. Well, I'm so glad to hear that, uh, that other than the, the forced quarantine and, you know, having to not be able to do stuff. I'm glad to hear that everybody's doing okay uh, health-wise and all things considered hanging in there. So Dan, let's wrap it up with this. Um, as I mentioned a minute ago, pretty eclectic career, uh, a lot of successes along the way and some great experiences. Uh, any advice for anybody listening? If you had one piece to share with anybody, what might that be? Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to, I guess, tailor this advice to say someone who's just starting off in sales or looking for a career in sales and so forth. For me, it was always about finding how you can contribute to the team, finding your role within the team and finding how your personal skills and how your individual skills and your individuality, how you address problems, how you look at problems, finding out how best you can support the team. And, um, you know, if you can find that way and, and you can find some avenues where you can really help and help your career develop, that's one thing. And then, you know, always go into a situation with, with open ears because I, I was uh, exposed to so many great leaders over the years that have gone on to even better things uh, and just take a little bit from each one and mold it into your strategy, find where you can help and always, you know, have a plan for your career. What do you want to do? Lay it out, you know, go through every possible derivation that you could. Mm. And uh, yeah, and never be afraid to ask somebody for their time. Great advice. Yeah, yeah great advice. That's what I would say. Hey, Dan, last question for you as, yep. a, as a former uh, athlete passionate about the game of football. Uh, who's your team today? Uh, my team is the Green Bay Packers. Oh. And uh, when, whenever I usually get asked that question, this is how I answer it. I like players. I don't necessarily have a diehard team. For me, I think Aaron Rodgers is a wonderful quarterback, an excellent football player. I also like some other athletes, but uh, when the Packers come on TV, I'll, I'll set aside a couple hours to watch the Packers. I, I just find it an exciting kind of football. Ever been but to Lambeau? Me, no, no. Bucket list item for sure. All right. Bucket list item for sure. All right, good. Well, Dan, let's wrap it up on that note. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks very much for the invitation, Paul. I appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. And thanks, thanks everybody so for joining us. Remember, your intention matters because that's the result that you'll typically get. We're out of here and uh, we'll do it again next week. Be safe, everyone, and uh, go pack.